So I thought like, oh, it's casual. I'll wear my Vibram Five Fingers into work. Oh man, just like the reactions I got. I remember somebody just like yelled or, or, or screamed. <laughs> like, oh my God, I thought you were barefoot. Welcome to Hippie Critical. Manifestation. Raves and transformational festivals. Sound healing. Tantra is about being embodied. To go completely barefoot. Someone that tries every single sort of hippie practice. Very subjective experiences. Skepticism is totally healthy. From the counterculture to the common culture. Today we have the venerable Mountain Chang with us. Thanks for being on Hippie Critical. Mountain, can you tell us about your background just to kick us off? Yeah, sure. I am the founder and head of design for Carrots. That is C-A-R-E-T-S. And we design a dress shoe that is built around the health principles of barefoot. That's amazing. And I wonder how many times when you do your intro, people are asking you like, what? You founded Carrots? Like you created the vegetable? <laughs> you know what? That's actually the first one. We'll clear that up. C-A-R-E-T-S. And it's like the carrot sign that you could find on your keyboard when you press like shift six, I believe. Yes, it's the exponent sign. And the reason why we chose this name is because, uh, first of all, our shoe is to the power of you. You know, our shoes help you reach your career goals and your health goals at the same time. So the product is really about giving you the best tools to be who you want to be. And carrot also happens to be a homonym for both the, you know, very delicious health food and also the unit of quality measure for both gold and diamonds. So health, luxury, shoes, carrots. I think that's the best transition I could have asked for into uh, going into barefoot. And I'm just going to pose as a beginner who knows very little about barefoot and this lifestyle. So what is barefoot? Uh, I like to talk about the benefits of barefoot from two, two points of views, and it's structural and sensory. So let's talk about the structural first. Now, the human foot is we kind of think of it as just bones, but it's actually a very complicated network of bones, muscles, tendons, and ligaments. And a lot of people think of like their arch as a fixed structure, but it's actually also muscles. And when you work your muscles correctly, they start pulling on your bones differently and it reshapes your shape, the shape of your feet. And um, what happens a lot is when people don't use their arches, their arches get weak and start to collapse. And you know, arches are one of the strongest structures out there in, in physical space. And arches get stronger when you press on them from the top because everything just... Um, everything comes together and compresses and becomes a stronger structure. And the way that you destroy an arch is uh, by supporting it, by doing something to it from the bottom. Like if, if you want to blow up a bridge, you put the charges on the bottom of the bridge, you don't put them on the top. And uh, a lot of times we neglect, we, we neglect using the muscles in our feet. And in fact, we do the opposite. We give them support so they don't have to work as hard anymore. So it's really interesting when people start switching to more minimalist footwear. Uh, minimalist is a term that uh, is often interchangeable with barefoot. And it's just about giving you a shoe that is that doesn't interfere with the natural function of your foot so that your foot can, you know, grab and twist and turn and just do all the things that a natural foot should be able to do and build up all the strength and flexibility that is inherent in every human foot. So that's the, the structural portion. And the sensory portion is also very interesting. You know, our feet are so sensitive. Like getting our feet tickled is really intense sometimes. <laughs> and the reason for this is because our feet are 
how we connect with the earth and how we move about with our physical space. So it needs to be able to provide a lot of data to us. And in the context of sports, running, um, athletic performance, our feet serve as a very strict coach that tells us, hey, you're not doing this correctly, so you better fix it or else you're going to get hurt. And when we put on shoes, what happens is we basically silence this coach. Um, one analogy that's often thrown out is that, you know, if you're trying to sing well, you don't want to, you don't want to plug tissue into your ears and numb out how bad you're singing, mm. <laughs> you know? Mm. So it's kind of like the feedback mechanism by doing that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what happens when we're putting on an overly cushioned shoe. We're basically stuffing tissue into our ears um, so we don't hear our own horrible singing. So we're not, we're not uh, aware of how badly we're running, you know? I love how you broke it down by structure and sensory. You know, I myself ran track in high school and I never thought about this aspect of how much I'm cushioning my feet, you know, running track, running 400 meter sprints. And I also did cross country. It didn't occur to me that this could even be like a hack potentially, or that maybe I was losing out something in my running. One thing that caught my ear when you were talking about an overly cushioned shoe, I'm wondering like, where does that begin and end? Like what is overly cushioned? What is, in your opinion, what is like too much or too little? Oh yeah, that, that is a good question. I would say for, uh, like cushion is not universally bad. That is something that I used to think when I first started off in this barefoot journey. But now, now I've come to understand there are lots of nuances to this. And I would say for someone starting out, actually, um, I would actually advise someone to go completely barefoot, but very, very gently. This is so you have the benefit of that super awesome running coach that's your bare feet and the, the nerve endings on the bottom of your feet. Um, so go totally barefoot, start slow. And cushioning does have a role depending on the terrain and the challenge that you're up to. So if you're going to do like a 100-mile race, having cushion to smooth out a lot of the pebbles that you might encounter during that race there will very likely help lower your race time give you a better result. So there is room for cushioning as a practical technology to get you what you want. But for training purposes, um, in order to benefit from that sensory and structural feedback, uh, I would advise someone to go as bare as possible for, yeah, just to reap all those benefits. I see. And you're obviously super authoritative on this on this topic and very knowledgeable how did you get into this whole barefoot thing hmm where would i trace the origin it was uh it was from tim ferris's blog when he first blogged about vibram five fingers and he had this very convincing article with lots of visual aids and anecdotes and um a lot of the things that i just explained right now and I was waiting to get a pair of five fingers because they were, they were just starting to blow up at that time and it was really hard to get a pair. And while this was, what time was 2009, this? and while I was waiting to get that pair, I was just like, you know what, I don't, I don't want to wait. I'm just going to start running barefoot right now. And I just started doing it. Um, and when my five fingers came in like a month later, I was like, you know what, I, I'd rather be barefoot. It really is a better teacher. And, um, and yeah, that, that's how I got started. Uh, at the same time, my friend and I wanted to do some events together. We had both read Born to Run, and we were really excited about reclaiming this awesome power that humans have to run really long distances. Um, they say that humans are the greatest endurance runner in on planet earth really and no other animal can move great distances quite as efficiently as we do and they actually have races where it's um humans versus horses and 
yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And it's not always the horses that win. And um, yeah, yeah. And these races are based on distance. Mm -hmm. They're long distance races. Yes. So definitely in a sprint, like a lot of animals would, would just leave us in the dust. But when the distance gets longer, humans are very efficient at distance running. I heard this and I was like, wow, that's so cool. I really need to test this out. And six months later, I did the LA Marathon completely barefoot. That's crazy. I remember when I first met you, I was like, this guy is crazy. Like that's, I never heard of anyone running a marathon barefoot. I wanted to trace back a little bit to when you first started running barefoot. What was that like before you got your five finger vibrams? Did you just literally step out of your house and just started running down the street? Hmm. What was my first barefoot run like? Wow. That was so long ago. I think it was a hot summer California day. So probably not the best time to start running barefoot if you're not accustomed to it. The asphalt was pretty hot and I didn't make it very far because before my soles just got too warm. And then I cut it short, took a break and went a little bit longer the next day and then a little longer the next day. Did you ever experience pain or was there a break-in period or did your feet get messed up? Hmm. Did my feet get messed up? No, nothing major. Or were they like very sore after the first couple runs? You know, I think I did have the benefit of being barefoot indoors, just growing up in an Asian household. So it wasn't that jarring of a transition for me. And I don't know if this can be universally applied, but it wasn't that intense for me. But I also knew to take it slow. I read books on it and I checked out websites looking at proper form. Mm-hmm. Actually, you brought up a really interesting side note about culture and being barefoot because honestly, some of my roommates who live in my house right now, they wear shoes inside the house and that's totally fine because there's laminate wood flooring, but it's a total cultural difference. And I've even met someone who says sometimes he just gets so tired, he will fall asleep in his shoes. And that's like unimaginable for me. Yeah, same here, same here. You know, we don't have to have an answer for this, but would you be saying that being barefoot indoors makes it easier for someone to get into barefoot because they're already accustomed to taking their shoes off indoors and they have that ground feel? I think so. And my feet were probably a little bit less sensitive just being barefoot indoors than someone who is in shoes all the time. Oh, uh, less sensitive in the sense that your feet were tougher? Not tougher, but more so... I would think your feet would be more sensitive because you're feeling things more. So sensitivity as in I am able to tolerate a wider range of things while still being able to pick up on what those differences are. I see. So I think, I think if, you, if you've been shod for a really long time and then suddenly you're barefoot, like the littlest things will kind of like scream at you, even though it might not be something that is of concern. Do you consider barefoot and the minimalist lifestyle anywhere on the hippie spectrum? Like when you tell people about your shoes and um, the barefoot lifestyle, do people like look at you weird? <laughs> when I when I used to run on the road a lot more, I got a lot of, hey, you forgot your shoes kind of comments. But when I actually explain barefoot like I am to you now, when I just meet somebody, mm, no, not, I don't really get anything too weird about it. Okay. Especially if I'm able to talk about sensory and structural advantages right away. And it's also a great sales moment for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really curious about our built environments and how practical it is to be barefoot. How I imagine it is, of course, when we're cavemen, we didn't really have advanced shoes or any shoes, but we might be walking on dirt or on the plains and we don't have modern things to worry about like broken glass or hot as hell asphalt. So I'm wondering if barefoot kind of harkens to that assumption of having that older environment, but in a very urban environment, like let's say New York City, does it even make sense to be barefoot? Hmm. Yeah, that is a good question. Well, I can say that natural and man-made, it can be a pretty arbitrary distinction sometimes. I don't advocate going barefoot all the time everywhere. And there are certain 
man-made environments where you wouldn't want to go barefoot all the time. I know in New York City, a lot of the trash is left on the curb, and there is just a much higher likelihood of a high bacteria load running on the sidewalks there. But also in nature, there are some really rough trails out there, and things in nature can be just as pointy and spiky and piercy as broken glass that you would find in a city. Yeah, the first thought that came to mind was like a rocky riverbank or beach. Yeah, yeah. Just going through the woods, going through a field, there's a lot of sharp, pointy, pokey things, especially out here where we live in Southern California. There's a lot of cactuses and pointy plants. So when I recommended running completely barefoot, I meant more so like, okay, uh, find a nice park for you to go to or a nice, clean sidewalk. Wait, sorry, what was the question again? I was asking, are there places where people shouldn't be barefoot? Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Right, right. Yeah, so I would, I would just use your best judgment on that one. It's hard to say yes to this place and no to this place completely. Yeah. In the beginning, it's a good idea to bring a pair of shoes with you, just so if it gets too intense, you could put them back on and make it home. I find this part funny and maybe ironic in a way. What I would like to find out more is about barefoot shoes and barefoot footwear, because now that I'm saying it, it's almost a oxymoron, barefoot shoes, right? It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. you barefoot or you wear shoes. Can you explain at a basic level, like what is a quote unquote barefoot shoe? Yeah, sure. So there, there's four features that a barefoot style shoe would have, and all of them come down to giving your foot its full range of motion. So the first problem that is in a lot of modern shoes is a raised heel. In casual shoes, the raised heel is for aesthetic purposes. It's to make the wearer taller, to accentuate. Yeah, it's for very aesthetic purposes. And for a lot of athletic footwear, it's also built in there to accommodate a form of writing called the heel strike, where every time you step out, the first part of your foot that touches the floor is the heel, and you go bam. You, you hit it with your heel, and then you roll forward onto the front of your foot. And the problem with the heel is that you're perpetually downhill. Like, it's, it's fine being able to walk downhill from time to time, hmm. but if you're walking downhill all day, then the the opposing muscles, you know, certain muscles start to shrink and contract and the other ones get too long and weak. And so what happens is that our Achilles and our calves get really tight because they're always stuck in that shortened position. And our Achilles is what allows a lot of running efficiency for us. It's like this really springy tendon in the back of our calf, bottom back of our calf that allows us to run you know um that's why that's why it was like the weak spot for achilles he got shot there and he couldn't be fast anymore mm -hmm. the achilles heel the other part about heel striking is that it's very jarring on the system like yes you do get a cushion but still your joints are getting this unnatural shock that would not have been possible for your, your body to handle without that cushion and you're repeatedly rocking your whole skeletal system with each of those heel strikes. And that's why the barefoot movement does not want to heal. Instead, we should be landing midfoot where we're allowing the muscles of our arch and the rest of the muscles in our legs. Because when you're landing in a heel strike position, a lot of your leg is extended and it's just like this stiff stick that gets a bunch of force knocked into it. Whereas if you're landing more in a midfoot strike and you're letting your foot fall right under your center of gravity, it's a much more gentle landing where your muscles are able to translate that energy and propel you forward into the next step. So by midfoot strike, you're talking about the part of it that's more distributed across the foot from like middle of your feet to your big toe? Uh, yeah, it's more so the balls of your feet, but also letting your heel touch down too at the same time. So you aim for the balls of your feet, but you don't. So a forefoot strike is someone who's basically like running on the front of their foot, whereas a midfoot strike, you're landing 
still on the front of your foot, but you're letting your heel softly kiss the ground afterwards. And that allows a lot of the force to be distributed back into this ground. Yeah. Okay. So maybe I haven't just gotten to that age, maybe as an age thing, but I'm not sure if I've like heard of people, you know, like go through a lifetime of like wearing really cushioned or, or high heeled type of shoes and then complaining about it. Is this like a common thing where a lifetime of wearing modern shoes, the type that we're describing, it, it does lead to serious problems? Or I'm just wondering from a skeptic's point of view, is the problem overblown? Hmm. Is the problem overblown? I don't think there's been enough studies on a wide population of this. They have done running tests, um, impact tests, where people switch between heel striking and midfoot striking, and they show there is statistically significant differences in the forces going into their body. And as far as more population-wide problems, I'm not sure if there are studies like that, but there are a lot of anecdotes where people have been trying to overcome some sort of musculoskeletal pain for a long time. And by switching over to a zero drop shoe, a shoe that doesn't have a heel, like suddenly those issues are gone. By that definition, it seems like heels, like the ladies' heels, would be by far the worst kind of shoes to wear. Yes. And I think if you ask any lady that, they'll tell you that yeah, the higher the heel, the greater the pain. Hmm. Actually, I, I love that visualization because I, I think that's a commonly known fact that heels are uncomfortable and the higher the heel, the more the pain. So as a visual, now I'm thinking that, well, really heavily cushioned shoes are like heels. And there's kind of like an intuitive sense that that could throw off the, the balance of the person walking or compromise their skeletal structure, as you were saying. Yeah, totally, totally. Oh, and yeah, th that's just the heel. You want me to talk about the other three features? Yes, please. So the other one is uh, the toe boxes are often too tight. We come to expect a certain pointy looking shoe even though our feet are not naturally so pointy looking. And as a result of putting our not so pointy feet into pointy shoes, our feet start to become pointy looking. And that is a problem because the way it becomes pointy looking is that our toes lose their ability to spread open. And instead they start to scrunch together and it leads to pretty serious problems like bunions, things that are really painful and often require surgery to fix. So the other problem is, yeah, that, that toe box is often way too tapered, way too constrictive and pointy. The third thing would be the flexibility. When a shoe just isn't able to flex, that means your foot isn't able to flex. And they're therein lies another problem where your foot just doesn't get a full range of motion anymore. And arch support is also an issue. Like we mentioned earlier, if you're artificially supporting your arch, then your arch isn't getting the work in necessary to support itself as a muscle. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, uh, the ground feel. When we cut off too much of the way that we're able to get data from the ground with our feet, then that leads to, um, that leads to, yeah, just like you, you have a sensitive foot that does not get any information. And, um, mm -hmm. we, we have a, we have an interview on the carrots website with uh, Dr. Emily Splickle and she is the maker of these textured insoles called Naboso. And How do you in that interview, that? it was really um, N-A-B-O-S-O. -O. Naboso. Yep. It, it means barefoot in Czech. Hmm. And so in the article, she said that the human brain has like a trifecta of intelligence, which is IQ, EQ, and MQ, with the MQ meaning um, your, your motor quotient, which is your ability to sense where you are in space, where your body is in space, and your ability to 
control your body through that space. These three things all build up together and they work in concert to support each other. In development, a lot of kids who have some sort of sensory issue often tend to have difficulty controlling their emotions and have trouble learning in school too. So it's really interesting how closely our motor skills are tied to our general intelligence and also our emotional intelligence too. I love that. Thanks for educating me on MQ. I've never heard of that motor quotient. And where my very immature brain went to was, I'm going to try to find like really smart people that I feel inferior to. Like, oh, you might have graduated from Harvard, but can you touch your toes? (laughs) (laughs) Petty as hell. (laughs) (laughs) But it's totally true. Um, when I have a new appreciation for athletes, when I see how much stress, physical stress and pain, but also how gracefully they could move through all that, I'm like, that is a type of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with those four features of barefoot style shoes, would you say that all barefoot style shoes need to have those four in order to be considered one? Or is there flexibility? No pun intended. <laughs> Um, I would say it exists within a spectrum. Yeah, you can assign different ratings to different brands of shoes. It really depends on what's what's most important to you. For example, for our brand, since we make dress shoes, very high-end dress shoes, durability is a priority for our customers. And durability often comes at the expense of ground feel because durability requires a little bit more material or a denser material. And either one of those will also cut into ground feel. So there is, um, there are trade-offs to all these things. And, and even, even this one. So I am five, four and a half. And my shoes basically make me shorter. And that is a trade-off that I have to be willing to take. But I think it makes up for itself because when I'm comfortable, I'm confident. And when I'm standing in, I'm literally standing in something I believe in, you know, which is that looking good and having a healthy body should not be contradictory. Like that just gives me so much more confidence. So it doesn't really matter that I'm losing like half an inch of height. Mm, That's well put. I own a few pairs of barefoot style shoes, your brand included. Speaking from us skeptics, or maybe not skeptics perspective, maybe, maybe a frugal perspective might be like, well, do I have to get barefoot shoes? Are there any just like normal shoes that are already have these features and I don't have to like pay extra for them? Mm, What do you mean by pay extra for them? In the sense of like, I, oh, maybe that's just my own perception that uh, barefoot shoes, they are more of a niche. So there's more of a premium on that. I guess a better question would be, are there normal household brands that say Converse's that already exhibit some of the features of barefoot style shoes? Oh, I see your question. Okay, let's see. Many years ago, there was a pair of Vans that I used to wear that had a lot of the, it was zero drop. It was light, thin, flexible, but it did not have a wide toe box. And I think that is one of the hardest things to find within a mainstream band having the decently wide toe box, that that is probably the hardest thing. And even Converse's, like if you look at them, they seem like they're pretty minimalist, but if you wear them, they're pretty stiff and they're pretty heavy and that toe box is not wide at all. So I would say no on Converse's. So it sounds like if you had to pick a non-barefoot style shoe that you would have to wear for the health benefits, it would be maybe Vans up there? Hmm, I think that Vans, shoe was probably like i don't know like 60 bucks and if you're willing to just shell out a little bit more and get into something like zero shoes or lems those guys have every feature that i described and yeah just just go for one of those Mm -hmm. oh and zero shoes also has their their running sandals which are i don't know i think about like 70 bucks Mm -hmm. and of course if you're totally skeptical about it just uh, go barefoot first and find out for yourself to see if this actually makes a difference. And if it doesn't, then, um, then that's fine. True, true. Yeah, you could try it yourself. 
personally for me, the toe box does make a huge difference and totally not just because I have your shoes and I'm biased, but I do recall that when I wear carrots shoes compared to like my other dress shoes, because of the wider toe box, I never felt like my toes were super cramped in other shoes, but it was that my toes could breathe and actually my feet started stinking less. And that was one of the unexpected perks that I had from wearing barefoot style shoes. Oh yeah, I remember you sharing that with me. And yes, that was a surprise for me as well because that wasn't something that I was building to solve, but that made a difference in how sweaty my feet were at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. What do you think about socks? So it's extra cushion. And I think one would maybe associate barefoot style shoes with, oh, okay, perhaps these are shoes that I could be barefoot in. What what do you think of that? Oh, oh, um, so... I I have pretty sweaty feet, and so I am a big fan of socks <laughs> for myself personally. I don't think that socks are contradictory to being barefoot, um, to the barefoot philosophy. And if you would rather not wear them, then that's perfectly fine too. I just know that I have sweaty feet and socks absorb it and keep it out of my shoes. And stylistically, it's been more and more common to see people wearing they're, they're either actually barefoot or I think most people are wearing like those no-show socks. So I think that's what's going on. But yeah, I understand that's totally like a style thing now too. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, one of the earlier questions that I lost came back to me. Other than heels, like ladies heels as a category, are there any brands in your opinion that are like the worst offenders in terms of compromising the arch and foot health? No, I, I wouldn't say so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Another question around that in terms of like other brands. I'm thinking that it's really interesting where our culture has taken our shoes to be this way. And I appreciate people in companies like yours challenging that status quo because from a practical perspective, you would think that minimalist shoes cost less in material because it's literally less material. So why aren't more brands doing that? And is it purely because it's hard to pull off aesthetically? Like, is it expensive to engineer? Or is it that like for men's shoes, height is a difference? So that like, is that a major driver for the companies that are trying to meet customer demands? Hmm. So the question is the question about uh, why aren't more companies making minimalist shoes? Or why are minimal shoes at their current price point? Uh, more of the former, because I'm just thinking in terms of, yeah, why aren't there more? Because I would think that there would be cost savings to using less material, like having a thicker cushion. I would think that costs more than using a not as thick cushion. Oh, um, well, EVA foam, which is the most commonly used material for that cushioning, is not very expensive. And it doesn't add that much material cost or shipping cost. So making minimalist shoes, I don't think yields that much cost savings. And the the main question is, why aren't more companies doing this, right? That's a good question. I think as far as running shoe companies go, part of it is that it kind of kills the message that they've been putting out for decades that they have all this crazy mm. cool technology and it works. And if they come out with a shoe saying like, hey, you don't need all this crazy cool technology, then it really does like destroy the rest of their line, you know? Hmm. So what I'm getting from that is that the storytelling behind the big running shoe companies is that you do need a shoe to run in general, or you need a specific type of shoe in order to like achieve your best. Um, both. I would say both. They're saying that you need a shoe and you need their shoe. Hmm. And here's something interesting. I think this might've been like two years ago, but Nike somehow proclaimed that barefoot is dead and at the same time they released their most barefoot version of the nike free ever interesting yeah yeah oh are are nike frees supposed to emulate or encompass the barefoot ethos it's the closest nike has gotten to it yes but they they still have like a drop a differential between the heel and the toe i'm super interested in that do, do what would you google search for that would would you say like nike Barefoot is dead. <laughs> um, I we'll put it in the show notes. I'll I'll pull it up for you. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. It's super interesting. 
I think you dropped some names, but um, can you kind of walk me through however short history of barefoot shoes and uh, how they came to be, including yours? For example, in my mind, Vibrams were like the first ones or the first ones I was aware of. Yeah, I would say that they kickstarted this. It was Vibrams as well as Christopher McDougall's book, Born to Run. Mm. I think those things coming out started the wave of barefoot running. And that was in like 2009. And some of the other brands that are working in this space are, oh, Vivo Barefoot has been around for a really long time. They are owned by the Clarks family. Oh, the same Clarks that make Clarks. Yeah, they're a very impressive company. They have a really strong environmental ethos. They innovate a lot as far as their materials. They have some shoes, I think, that are made from algae. Really, really cool stuff. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I would say they're our biggest competitor. They make the closest thing to address you. Vivo Barefoot? Yep, Vivo Barefoot. And another cool company to check out is Lems, um, L-E-M-S. And they have more of a more of an outdoors, REI kind of aesthetic to them. But I think their Primal has a really cool streetwear look to it. And their Boulder boot really fits like an Americana, rugged kind of style too. I didn't even know that was a barefoot style boot when I first saw you wear it. I just thought it looked badass. Oh, right on, right on. Yeah, yeah. And their Zero Shoes, I, I wouldn't really know how to describe the Zero Shoes aesthetic, but they are unique. They have interesting takes on classical designs. Like their Chukka and their Chelsea boot are very different from what you would traditionally think of those, but they still look pretty cool. And they have a really strong warranty and they check all the boxes as far as barefoot features. So yeah, they're, they're also worth um, checking out. And by the way, that's spelled X-E-R-O, right? Yep, X-E-R-O. Like the accounting software. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I wonder if they get like interesting Google searches or customers get confused. Like, oh yeah, right. I want barefoot shoes, not accounting software. <laughs> One that you didn't mention that I like a lot are soft star shoes. Oh yeah, Softstar. Theirs are really interesting too. They make them in Oregon, in a workshop in Oregon. And theirs is a moccasin style. So so most shoes are built around a last. And a last is like a plastic foot shape that determines the internal dimensions as well as the external silhouette of the shoe. And so most companies make their shoes around a last, but Softstar shoes are not built that way. They're built more traditionally like moccasins. They're just sewn together. And as a result, oh. their shoes, um, yeah, the, the, their shoes are very soft. It's, it's right in the name. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I, I just really liked them because I was trying to find a barefoot style shoe to travel in. And so like my requirements were, it has to look good enough, decent enough where I could go out a night on a town and you know I could go into a club with those potentially but I could also be comfortable like walking miles and miles in them. And oh, I also wanted them to be lightweight and flexible. So they fit perfectly in my bag. They barely make an imprint. And, and that's why I like my soft stars so much. Yeah, yeah, because you can totally just like squish those flat, right? Yeah, you could even like pretty much roll them up. Like I haven't tried like rolling them up in terms of like for extended period of time because I don't want to ruin them accidentally. Mm -hmm. But like you could literally like from the middle of the shoe, bunch them up like 90 degrees and it'll be fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And th th that is totally different from our shoes, whereas our shoes do have some support structures in the heel counter, which is like the very back of the shoe, and also in the toe puff, which is the very front of the shoe. And these pieces are in there not to restrict your movement in the shoe, but really just to keep the leather up and perky and make it look like a structured dress shoe instead of like a like a floppy leather sock around your foot you know it has to have a certain structure to the presentation so so that's why i i often talk about that yeah there there are compromises that have to be made and it all depends on what your use case is and what your priorities are i see so for the barefoot enthusiast if you were to say like okay these are the the five essential ones to have in your closet for like all types of situations how would you break those down oh that's that's a good question so i know some people they like to have one thing in the middle that serves everything but 
I like to have one thing at both ends. So for me, if I were to just have two shoes that would be perfect and cover everything, on one end, it would be a pair of dress boots from us, Carrots, still unreleased, but you know, I have some samples. And I would have dress boots on one end and that would cover all the formal situations as well as all the cold situations, cold and wet situations. And on the very other end, I would have a pair of running sandals, for example, the Z Trail by Zero Shoes. And that would cover me in basically all the outdoor situations and all the warm situations. Hmm, I see. What would you, mm-hmm. if you were forced to pick that middle option, what would that be? Ooh, forced to pick a middle option. It's interesting because the way that you thought um, in terms of like the more of the two ends, the extremes, the reason I chose my soft stars is because for me, that is the middle option, the widest range of my Yeah, yeah. And I, I was thinking about you when, when I said that and, and some of my other customers too, who, who said that they, they travel with like that one middle options. What would I wear? <laughs> my ninja shoes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, I, I can't live without those. Those are my party shoes. Okay, well, yeah, t- tell people about these ninja shoes, please. Yeah, so uh, ninja shoes, if you've seen the movies, you'll notice that they wear these shoes where their big toe is separated from the rest of their feet. And this tradition of shoes still survives to this day, uh, not as footwear from ninjas, but actually footwear for Japanese construction workers. Here in the United States, the concept for work boots is super rugged, super heavy, right? Yeah, like steel toe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas in Japan, they want to be very agile and be like totally aware of where they're stepping and how they're like interacting like 30 stories up on a beam. And so they wear really, uh, they wear ninja shoes. It's really interesting. <laughs> wow, that's, that's one of the rare stereotypes that actually land. Like, <laughs> Japanese construction workers wear ninja shoes? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and they, they do have steel toe versions of this, but still, like, the, the concept is that you want to have the bottom very flexible, very light, able to interact with the floor underneath you. And for myself... I like to wear these to dance in. If I'm dancing outdoors at a festival, then having that really high shaft keeps anything from going into the shoes. And it just looks cool. By the way, if you ever see someone who looks like a straight up ninja, just step in and having the best time at a festival in Southern California, that man will be Mountain Chang. (laughs) You totally own that aesthetic. Thanks, thanks. Earlier when you were talking about the different types of brands and how they accommodate for different barefoot features. One thing I do associate with barefoot companies is that there seems to be more of a concern for the environment. So a lot of the materials used aren't the same materials that you would find in a conventional shoe. Maybe it's like the leather that comes from like a more ethically sourced tannery for example is that like the norm for barefoot is that is there that um connection with nature and more more on the hippie side of things for lack of better terms yeah 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 i would say so as a whole the barefoot shoe companies are more environmentally conscious than the rest of the shoe industry as a whole Uh, like i mentioned earlier vivo is very innovative with their materials they make shoes out of algae plastic And for us, we are a member of 1% for the planet. 1% from every sale goes towards a charity that's doing something about the environment. And right now, we're pledging to Heifer International, which uh, I think just fits in with our brand message very well, that animals, if properly cared for, can be a benefit to the environment. We want to separate from the paradigm of factory farming and move towards a paradigm of sustainable animal husbandry and rotational grazing. There are less cows right now in the United States than there were wild bison when Western man first Mm. came to this country. And so we have these great plains that now we use to grow corn and soy. And instead, we can 
turning it back into prairie land. And this prairie land, it can be a really strong biosphere for having more natural diversity, for having more resilient ecosystems to prevent like uh, soil erosion and loss of topsoil. There's just so much that can be done in the grass-fed paradigm and we want to be a part of that movement. So that's why we're teaming up with Heifer and we are looking at some other cherries to work with, probably like the Savory Institute, who does a lot of advocacy about grass-fed and the restoration of our prairie lands. That's great that 1% for the planet is part of your, um, your platform. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. We would like to use more sustainable materials. And I find it really exciting how there is a lot of innovation in this field where there's people working on like mushroom leather and pineapple leather mm. and things like that. But as of now, like chrome tanned leather is still the best choice that we have right now because it's just it wears really well with age it's very durable but that doesn't mean i'm not open to other materials it's just i want to give the best to my customers you know i wonder if a population of your customers are like please i just want to buy your shoes but it's got to be vegan yeah yeah we, we we do have uh people writing in from time to time and uh yeah i totally understand it would be cool if we found a material that matched the performance of full grain cowhide leather. Gotcha. I want to wrap up with a few more questions. Going back to barefoot for the beginner, you know, we both love Tim Ferriss and his 80-20 thinking. So you, you've touched on this several times in this podcast, but just to summarize, for someone who's interested in all the benefits of the barefoot lifestyle, perhaps even barefoot shoes, what would be a great... 80 20 program or start for them to start getting into this oh hmm like, like to to get most of the benefits and not have to put in that much effort yeah i would say something that helped me a lot was the pose method of running hmm. you could youtube that and there would be some videos on it but it basically comes down to when you have a motion to master you just switch off between the poses that are involved and uh, the pose method does that. So one pose is with, uh, yeah, I, I would say just YouTube it. It would be too difficult for me to explain okay. over audio. Pose method of running. I just imagine people voguing to the speed of light as they're running, <laughs> but that's for another topic. Yeah. In your journey so far, your brand used to be Primal Professional. Now it's carrots.co. During this entire time, what have you learned about either the feet or shoemaking that most surprised you? Hmm, what most surprised me? Oh, I think, I think being cool with cushioning again was, was a big turning point for me. Hmm. So, so I, I, I was a very hardcore barefooter and I wanted to be barefoot all the time. And when I originally designed my shoes, uh, I had two thoughts, which was cushioning is bad. And the other is, I don't need a removable footbed because everyone is like me and they're just going to remove it anyways. I think it was through talking with um, the founder of Lems, Andrew, and the founder of Zero, Stephen, and they both mentioned that they were doing a little bit more to include cushioning into their shoes and how, how having like one to five millimeters of cushioning is different from having like a whole centimeter or multiple centimeters of it. It does mimic walking on natural earth a little bit more if you have a little bit of cushioning under your foot because like dirt tends to compress. Yeah. And I found that in my shoes, especially since the bottom is leather, your foot tends to slide on leather and having the cushioning for your foot to sink into on every step does help with a more stable step. So yeah, yeah. Just being cool with cushioning um, made a big difference for myself and my customers. <laughs> yeah, I'm a hardcore barefooter, but now I'm cool cushioning. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so hard. That's awesome. Thank you. And um, in kind of like a wrap up memento style, I know I'm kind of working backwards here. But when I first met you, I just loved your story about how you were in accounting. 
and you got really into barefoot. And so you're like, how can I wear shoes that I like, but I could wear in office as well? Can you tell, share a little bit more of that story and that initial inspiration for your company? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, it was my first job out of college and I was in a corporate accounting department and uh, I got into the barefoot running thing. There, there were two key events. One of them was doing the marathon barefoot. And I was like, oh man, like, I feel like something shifted in me. I can't, I just can't go back to my old shoes. And another event was, it was casual Friday. And I had a very literal definition of casual back then. <laughs> so I thought like, oh, it's casual. I'll wear my Vibram Five Fingers into work. Oh man, just like the reactions I got. I remember somebody just like yelled or, or, or screamed. <laughs> Like, oh my god, I thought you were barefoot. I was like, oh man, like that's that's not the impression that you want to give someone as an accountant. You know, you want to portray an image of like stability and all that. And I, I was looking on the internet trying to find a dress shoe or something that looked enough like a dress shoe that could fit my needs. And I was just like, dude, there's nothing out there. They're either good for you but ugly, or they look good, but they're bad for you. And I decided I just needed to make my own. Your question earlier about like, what, what did I learn about foot mechanics? I feel like a lot of that knowledge was already there when I first started this company. And more so what I've been learning about on my journey is what makes a great dress shoe a great dress shoe. So I've learned a lot more about like materials and proportions, lines, silhouettes, and just the history behind every single style of shoe. So the education for me has more been on the dress shoe front. I barely comprehend the world that you're in, but I'm signed up for your emails and I see how much detail you get into with the construction of your shoes and prototyping new ones. Getting as detailed as like the side stitching or is it the eyelids? Eyelets? Yeah, the number of eyelets. The eyelets are the holes that your laces go into. Yeah, yeah. So many details. Yeah. So if you guys want to learn more about dress shoes and barefoot, sign up for our newsletter. We'll have that in the show notes. And just by being on the newsletter, you are eligible for a monthly giveaway of a free pair of carrots, as well as lovely emails about nerdy shoe topics from yours truly. And if you don't mind some rapid fire questions so that people get to know you a little bit better. When you hear the word hippie, what comes to mind and what do you associate it with? Uh, fun. Oh. Yeah. I associate it with being able to savor all the joys of life. I think that's something that hippies are really good at. Fun and savoring life. So if someone called you a hippie, you would not be in the least bit offended? Nah. <laughs> you know, what's also coming up is just like care and consciousness, you know, like moving about gently throughout the world and being aware of, yeah, trying not to cause too much damage to what's around you. Hmm. Yeah, that also shows up for me. Is there a certain persona or celebrity or figure who pops into your mind when you think of hippie? Hmm. No, nobody, nobody in mind. I guess I just know too many hippies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next time, well, we'll try to grab a picture of you. Next time, think of Mountain Chang. <laughs> Who's one of your favorite gurus or authorities? Well, I really, I really trust what I get from Upright Health, the YouTube channel. And one of the things that they taught me this year was how my scapula functions, your scapula being your shoulder blades. Mm -hmm. And um, it was from talking to one of the Upright Health guys, Vincent Doe. He said like, yeah, your, your scapula basically has the ability to move in every direction. Like it could rotate forward, rotate back like rotate um, left, rotate right. It, it just has so much mobility and we tend to barely even use it if we're just living a sedentary lifestyle, you know? We just lift it a little bit to use our phones. But <laughs> man, like your scapula can go so many places and your scapula is what allows your arms to move in all these different places because that's how your arms are connected to your body. It's through your shoulder blades, your scapula. Yeah. So I see them as a great resource on biomechanics and proper movement. Zooming out even further, I really like Mark Staley Apple for basically any health topic. Like that guy has just been blogging every single day since, I don't know, like 2006 or something like that. 
And if there's a health topic, I would search there first because he does his research and presents it very fairly and he has a lot of outbound links. Yeah, he's like an encyclopedia of health for me. I agree. Very. Uh, thank you for turning me on to Mark's Daily Apple because he is now one of those reference people for me. For example, Tim Ferriss is a life hacker type of person for me where I would type in something like travel kit, Tim Ferriss, right? But if it's anything health or nutrition oriented, it would be Mark's Daily Apple, keto. You know, I think he would be my go-to search engine query. Yeah, yeah. He's awesome. What's your favorite form of self-care? My favorite form of self-care? Dancing. And any, all types of dancing or a certain type of environment at any time? Yeah. So I have, a, I have a specific daily practice that I do. I set a timer. The rounds are three and a half minutes. And I go through uh, one round where I just focus on my neck. Second round on my shoulders. Third round, my spine fourth round hips, and then fifth round is legs. Let's say I'm just focused on my neck. The first rule is that whatever I do needs to feel good to my neck. And the second rule is move to the music. From there, once I have those bases covered, you just like basically like stretch it out and do gentle movement to the music. And if you're so inclined, you can practice some dance moves while you're at it. So this allows me to get like so many things done at the same time. It's like meditation, it's stretching, it's mobility, it's dancing. And to get really specific about what I mean by dancing with just my neck, that's where I'll just do a lot of uh, like head isolations where the rest of my body is still, but my head is moving. Um, and then I'll do the opposite. I'll isolate my head and move my body under it. So there's a lot you can do with just your neck. And then when you go down to your shoulders, it opens up so much more possibility. Like this is where I like to like practice some shadow boxing or do a little bit of crumping, a little bit of locking. And then going down to the spine, you know, I like to do a lot of body waves, you know, get real nice and sexy up in there. And then with the hips, it's a lot of fun just seeing how you can let your hips take control of the rest of your body. And going into the last one, the legs, uh, this is where I like to practice some martial arts kicks. And I'll also get down on the ground and do some floor work. So at the end of doing this exercise, I just, I feel really refreshed. And I feel pumped up and I feel nice and loose, ready to take whatever's on. Awesome. I sense a streak, uh, a common pattern through our conversation and what you just shared, which is you're very much about body awareness, being aware of your body and using your entire body. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one final, final, final last question. I should have asked this way earlier. Basically, what are the most common misconceptions about barefoot and or if there are any remaining misconceptions that are really out there about the barefoot lifestyle? Like, what would you like to clear up for anyone who's listening? Oh, yeah. I would say the most common misconception is that I have massive blisters under my feet and so do all the other barefoot runners. And blisters, calluses, like these actually aren't issues for barefoot runners. That is surprising. These things tend to come from rubbing, right? You get blisters when your foot is rubbing in your shoe the wrong way repeatedly. For a barefoot runner, when our foot touches the ground, we stick that landing and then our foot lifts up off the ground. There isn't actually any friction, you know what I mean? Like, like in the beginning, um, when I was switching from running in shoes to running barefoot, I, oh yeah, yeah, so, so that happened in the beginning. <laughs> I remember, yeah, that happened in the beginning where when I first took off my shoes to run, I would be trying to push off the ground with my skin. And of course that led to blisters. Mm -hmm. But when I learned to use the pose method and just, let gravity bring my foot to the floor and then use the, um, use the bounce in my Achilles to pick up my foot again, then there wasn't that like sense of kicking off the floor anymore. Because before I was kind of like pushing off the floor as if I was skateboarding, you know? I feel like that's probably how I run and walk. So I need to check out the pose method. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that's the first misconception that, that, that we have heavily callous feet. No, like most serious barefoot runners, they have pretty normal looking feet. The other misconception would be, oh, I think broken glass is a really big concern. Mm. So because you're barefoot, 
like you're going to be a lot more aware of where you're stepping. And it's kind of like the difference between being in a car versus being in a motorcycle. Like you just have like a much greater awareness of your surroundings now. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the best example because I do think there are more motorcycle <laughs> accidents, right? Like percentage wise. That's true. That's true. Um, but, 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 but I get what you're trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> you have much more awareness of your surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah, as far as like getting stabbed by something, I think the worst thing that's happened to me is I stepped on a bee and I got stung. Mm-hmm. And that happened like, you know, a, a nice grassy field in the park. I wouldn't worry too much about stepping on things because you will see that, except for like bees hiding in the grass. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's why I actually, I, I think sidewalks are a pretty good place to start practicing instead of fields where something could be hidden in the grass. Gotcha. Mountain, thank you for being so generous with your knowledge and your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Oz. And I appreciate your curiosity and your awesome questions. Thank you. This has been super fun. Thank you for listening to Hippie Critical. There's no higher honor you could pay us than to recommend us to a friend. Now think of your most skeptical friend who could find a lot of entertainment and value in this podcast or this episode. You could also check us out at hippiecritical.com. That's hippiecritical.org. Thank you for your presence. Mm